Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And a very warm welcome to the Parish of Calvary St. George's for this second Sunday of Easter. We are glad that you are here. It is important to remember for us as Christians that Easter is not simply a day. Um, It is an entire season that continues for 50 days. We're only in the first week of it until Pentecost. So in the name of the church, continue to eat the peeps. Hallelujah. And um, and so, uh, but we are glad that you are here. And uh, our gospel reading today is a very interesting one. To set the timeline for everybody and to give you the setting, uh, we may be a week out from Easter, but our gospel reading actually takes place, it opens up on the evening of that first Easter day. And the atmosphere, John tells us, is fear. The Greek word is phobos, in the, where we get the word phobia from. Because as Jesus had told them, the servant is not above the master, is he? And so what happened to the master might certainly indeed happen to them. What's good enough for the goose is good enough for the gander, as the saying goes. They could be arrested, they could be killed, they could be handed over to the Romans, all sorts of things. Also, they're hearing rumors now that the tomb of Jesus is empty. And maybe if he did rise from the dead, well, we're the ones who betrayed him, you know. So let's lock the doors and let's stay huddled up because we are terrified. We're gripped with terror. This is what's being conveyed here. It's interesting, this is the third time that St. John uses this particular word for fear in his gospel. And in all three occasions, we read that fear is a preventative agent in our life. The first time that the word phobos is used in John's gospel is during the Feast of Booths in John chapter 7, verse 13. And John writes, No one spoke openly about Jesus because they were afraid. Hear that? Fear inhibits conversation and discussion. We are not an inclusive and diverse society as we like to tote. Uh, You can see that in our current conversational demographics. Just think about all the times you went home on Thanksgiving and your family of a different political suasion, you kept your mouth shut even though you thought you were right. You know, maybe it came you were with some friends and, you know, they were asking you about your faith in Jesus and you kept your mouth shut because you were afraid. Fear can close down conversation because I'm worried, I'm afraid of what people are going to think. The second time that John uses this gospel is towards the end, in chapter 19, right after the crucifixion. And we read that Nicodemus, or that we read that Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple of Jesus, remember he met Jesus in John chapter 3 in the darkness, but he goes and they, uh, they try and get his, uh, uh, oh, no, that's Nicodemus, sorry about that, but they're all, Nicodemus brings the spices to Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And so anyway, but Joseph secretly goes to Pilate to get the body. And you see, fear here in this case darkens an activity. It puts it in the shadows. Even the right things we get afraid of. Fear can cause us to live in the shadows of shame. 
And then in our gospel reading today, the third time, and it's intended the way John is writing and using these words, to bring it to its crescendo, if you will, we see that fear here prevents movement. It completely restricts activity as the disciples are huddled in this little room with the doors locked. That's the ultimate fruit of fear. The ultimate fruit of fear. Think about it. People with real phobias. We know some that don't leave their apartment for years. They've become prisoners in their own apartments. But it's not just literally, it's figuratively as well. We can just be constricted and hindered by fear. You know, a fear that, an, that, that, that prevents us from moving forward in a relationship. A fear that prevents us from leaving a job or an abusive relationship because we don't know what will happen next. Or maybe a fear of stepping out in faith and trusting that God has our back. It can be a kind of fear, too, that we wall ourselves up to block and plug our ears with cynicism from the knowledge of the love of God. That kind of fear that locks you in the little chapel of the self because your issues and your situations are just so dang overwhelming. This is where the disciples are at today in our reading. This is the setting for the first Easter evening. And you can all relate to it at least one point in your life. But this is my first point, and John doesn't want you to miss this. It is into this crippling fear. It is into your crippling fear that Jesus came among the disciples and now he comes among you and me today with something very specific to say. Peace be with you. This is a powerful word. And it's a powerful word because we're not talking about it in a John Lennon sense. This isn't an abstraction. This is real. This is sealed in blood. Because fear, here's the thing, fear is the fruit of a troubled conscience. And this statement, peace be with you, comes with, as Luther says, all of the triumph of heaven. For the peace that Christ gives clears the conscience. And it says, only Jesus' wounds justify you. Hence, this statement comes with the demonstration of his wounds. Not your wounds, not your wondering if you're going to add up, but Jesus' wounds and those wounds alone have justified you. And with this conscience-cleansing statement, peace be with you, Jesus breathes on these apostles as a foreshadow of Pentecost that's about to come. But the question you may be asking, I know I've asked it, where's Thomas? Where in the world is Thomas? Dr. John, I think, summed it up best in 1973 when he sang, I was in the right place, but it must have been the wrong time. This is Thomas. Where is he? If he was like me, he was probably out somewhere eating. That's what I do when I get stressed out. I like binge eat, you know what I mean? No one will find me here. Me and my chips. But anyway, I, am I the only one? But anyway, um, but when Thomas finally arrives and the disciples tell him 
what happened. We've seen the Lord. We all have that friend. You've had this powerful experience, and you're like, man, Jesus, he's real. And they're like, uh-huh. Now, Thomas says, because he's no gullible fool, you know, Thomas is into modern science, a reference to last week's joke. But anyway, um, Thomas says, because he knows, listen, dead people don't rise. And we don't need modern science to tell us that. Dead people don't rise. The ancient world knew that. And so what does he do? He says, I need to see things. If I see it, then I'll believe it. I need to see his hands. I need to touch that wound. That's kind of creepy, but that's what he needs to do. This is such an earthy and real text. Let me tell you. If we had been writing this immediately, it would have been like, Hail the festival day. It would have just broken out into song and cheer. But this is real. This is a real text. These are eyewitnesses. Because you see doubt and you see disbelief in Jesus' inner circle here. And on a profound level, I thank God for Thomas. Because he brings a humanity to the text. And because he brings that humanity, he brings a validity to this text. And so a week goes by. And this time Thomas, still entrenched in his doubt and disbelief, is finally with the other disciples. And Thomas here teaches us something about the way God actually deals with our doubts. Because listen, who here hasn't felt like Thomas? Who here hasn't felt the power of doubt? Is this real? I mean, is this Jesus thing real? And who can blame you? Doubt's a real response. Because we're dealing with things that are not seen. Now hear me on this. I'm not celebrating doubt. But I do recognize it's a reality. And sometimes our doubts can be small. And sometimes our doubts can be so massive that they can shake the foundation of our life and cause us to consider walking away. However, as we see with Thomas, thank God, doubt is not a deal breaker with God. Thank God it's not up to you at all. In fact, what we read here is that God is not actually waiting for you. He wasn't waiting for Thomas to figure it out. Instead, the God of all grace and the God of all mercy is coming for you, and he's going to meet you right where you're at. As a matter of fact, he's going to meet, he's meeting you right now. And this is my second point. What we learn from our gospel reading is this. Bring all your doubts to church. Bring them all. Bring all your doubts to this altar today. Bring them all. Bring all your troubles, all of your fears, all of your guilt, all of your shame that is keeping you up at night wondering if God is present, bring them all right here. Bring all of your doubts to the words and the wounds of Jesus. Because Jesus will meet you. Doubts and all right where you are at. And just like he said to that first fearful bunch of disciples, just like he said to Thomas, he's going to say exactly the same thing to you. Peace be with you.
And over time, that word washed over you by the power of the Holy Spirit will begin to soothe and ease your fearful, troubled conscience. It's the only balm in Gilead. It's the only thing that will make you whole. Jesus heard Thomas's cry. And Jesus hears your cry. And he tells him, put your finger here. See my hands. Part of the reason is, is that this is a genuine demonstration that this is a body we're talking about. We're not talking about an orb. We're not talking about a phantom. We're not talking about a ghost. We are talking about flesh and blood. However, in that risen body, notice Jesus is still bearing the wounds. Jesus still bears the scars of his sacrifice to remind you and I that only by his wounds are we healed. To remind us that actually peace, when Jesus says peace be with you, he really means it because it's been sealed in his blood and you can enjoy your forgiveness. For as we've just read, with those wounds come a word. And that word always creates faith. That word always enlivens faith. And that word sustains faith within us. Jesus does it again. With those wounds, he says to Thomas, Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas does as he says, My Lord and my God. And Jesus is your Lord and your God. And in that moment, Jesus across time, you know when we say, as I've said, do this in remembrance of me, that's not a simple little memory. It is to be brought into the reality of the living one, the living God. And so in that moment, Jesus across time, through his word, speaks to you, and with those same words, through his words, delivers a promise to you and me. A promise of blessing. Because he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And here you are. Blessed are you. And in that moment, and in that moment, Jesus says, blessed are you. So, You with all your small doubts. You with all your big doubts. You've come to his word. And in a moment, you're going to come to his supper. And Jesus in broken bread, that is his body, and wine that is his blood, will meet you. And he's going to meet you right where you're at. And this is my third point. We, like Thomas, are prone to doubt... We live in a really cynical and skeptical age where we think we know everything and, as a matter of fact, we don't know Jack. And yet, over and against our doubts, over and against our cynicism, God sets his word in our midst. And it's a sworn testimony. It is a testimony of those who have seen and those who have touched. That's the whole point of the book of Acts and our particular reading from Acts. That's the whole point of the end of John's gospel. This is a testimony. 
And we of, we of all people are blessed. We of all people are blessed because no, we don't see, but we hear. No, we don't see, but we take and we eat and we drink. And we are as much in the presence of the risen Jesus as Thomas and the rest. And more. So blessed are you. Blessed are you today, for you have not seen, and yet God's gift and has graced you to believe. And never forget, it is simply in believing that you have life in Jesus' name. So come to his table. Taste, see, and know that the Lord is good. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.